Hey y'all and welcome back to Gimme the Creeps with your lovely hosts, Abby and Daniela. Hey y'all, I like that. (laughs) Very cute. Thank you. So this time I think I'll take a page out of your book and start by asking you a question. Hey, here we go. Do you think it's possible to predict when you're going to die? Hey, sometimes. <laughs> okay, that's what, I, that's what I think too. All right. Well, today's episode will likely give you the creeps because this topic sure gives them to me. Grab some snacks and settle in because today we are discussing real cases where individuals told their loved ones that they didn't have long. That is awkward. I know, right? <laughs> While reading about this, I got mostly information on how if we knew when we were going to die, we would change our routine, even try to like upgrade our self-worth before we checked out, like YOLO type stuff um, for some, and then like donations for others, or maybe both. However, I found that superstitious people felt differently about this than like atheists or non-superstitious people. And of course, there are people who wouldn't want to know and those who would. But the wildest thing I found out about was that AI can predict someone's death these days. What? Yes, dude. I didn't keep going because I have other things to get to. So y'all can Google this on your own time. But apparently as of 2018, Google's AI was able to use patients' raw data from electronic health records to predict the course of their disease and risk of death during their hospital stays. Um, but that's okay. That is right. I get it. Right. I know, but it's still I mean, it's like helpful. bizarre. Yeah. It was 95% accurate compared to like what they did before. And that's what was weird. Um, and there's plenty more to read about it. So go online and look into it. But, uh, I just wanted to mention that. And then there's the, there's like mathematical equations that people can use. And then of course there's like the more superstitious stuff where like people use bones and like stuff like that or psychics or things like that. So different ways to go about it. I used a Wired article for part of this. Where is it? And it brings an important point uh, here with the bias against the disabled coming to the fore now that COVID has struck. Um, People are like holding like different values for humans. It's weird. So the quality of life comes into question and the healthcare system seems to favor using resources on the able-bodied while the disabled are a secondary consideration. And then check out the article for more information on that. It's pretty messed up talking about um, like, let's not waste a ventilator if they might not survive kind of thing. So I don't know. It was just an interesting point that I hadn't considered when it comes to death prediction information type stuff. So Cortland suggests, this is the end of the Wired article that I found. Um, it says, Cortland suggests the same data could be used to surge resources to those who are at increased relative risk of short-term mortality. For instance, when assessing patients for ventilators, use these two criteria, who would be most likely to die without a ventilator, and two, who would be most likely to survive with one. Death itself should not be the focus, nor a solution in its own right. The question they explain should be, what keeps people alive? It's not only ICU beds and ventilators, it's also resource allocation outside of hospitals, a safe place to live, enough to eat, affordable medicine, predictive algorithms cannot parse social inequality, public health and policymakers can't let them inadvertently enforce social determinants of health through denial of care. The lives of a disabled person, a disadvantaged person, an ethnic minority, an elderly person, a woman, a child, a refugee, all matter. Every moment is precious, every breath, every spoken word, every whispered wish. Prediction tools will continue to be used and can be used for good, but we owe a responsibility to the least protected. When crises come, they will weather through new variants entirely, new diseases, or the consequences of climate change. We could build new hospitals, temporary wards, and treatment tents. We could bring doctors out of retirement or provide provisional emergency treatment licenses, as has been the case in Canada. We could exhaust the resources. We have to ensure that all lives are treated with equity. Equity. Further policy must foreground those who will be most at risk from death prediction tech and put advocates in charge of building policy to control and contain it. The future, says Burgart, is always influenced by our decisions and priorities in the present. Death prediction may be useful for early detection of disease, but in the end, it will never be able to measure the value of life. That is something we must do for ourselves. Um, So that was from... 
the Wired article from December 28th, 2021 um, by Brandy Schillis. And it's called Predicting Death Could Change the Value of a Life. And I thought it was very interesting. It talks about proteins, uh, protein sequences. Uh, in June 2021, they found an even more accurate way to tell like how much you have left. Not like an exact date or anything like that, but they'll use proteins in your blood. So it only takes a little bit of blood to find out how much time you got, which is pretty wild. Um, so like I said, you guys can check that out. <clears throat> but moving on. Uh, if this wasn't already causing you dread, studies have found that the mind remains active after you are medically dead. What? Uh-huh. I used the Independence October 18th, 2017's article, um, and it talks about Dr. Sam Parnia, Director of Critical Care and Resuscitation Research at NYU Lagone School of Medicine, uh, a person's consciousness continues, which means you might even hear the doctor pronounce you dead, making you aware of what's happened before lights out. Um, that is terrifying. <clears throat> I agree. Uh, he was able to find this out by doing studies on cardiac arrest patients who were dead and then revived. Apparently, it is the most extensive study of this kind to be carried out. The patients were able to describe what was going on around them, and the accounts were confirmed by the medical staff present during the reviving. So they could hear conversations, and they could see, like, what's going on around them, which is so... I can't imagine, like, laying there and seeing everybody freak out and trying to bring you back, you know? Mm-hmm. Death is defined as the point at which the heart no longer beats and blood flow to the brain is cut off, but even... Then, evidence suggests that the brain has a burst of energy as someone dies, which we've discussed before, um, and uh, it seems to be linked to a hyper-alert state in a brief time after death. So, in other words, you'd be able to tell everyone told you so in your head. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so that's from The Independent. Uh, Check that out. Pretty interesting. And here we begin with a new and fresh list from history101.com, 27 famous people who predicted their own demise from July 6, 2022. So very recent. Um, We start with James Dean. The actor James Dean in his Porsche 550 Spider. I thought we'd already talked about him in another episode. Um, I brought him up during Zach Bagans. Both you and I. Both of us again. I could skip. He said uh, he'll take his chances on a track any day rather than a highway, and then he died on a highway. So that's the gist of that one. Martin Luther King. Oh. Dr. Martin Luther King arrived in Memphis, Tennessee on April 3rd, 1968, and gave his famous last speech, which was titled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. The speech showcases King's priorities such as equal rights for all mankind and social justice, but it was his last few lines that proved to be prophetic. Like anybody, King said, I would like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. He went on to say, I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. He was right. As the next morning on April 4th, 1968, he was assassinated. So some of these are more vague and some of these are more specific, it looks like. Um, Next on the list, we got Mark Twain. Um, It's difficult to say whether the author and his satirist Mark Twain predicted his death or made it happen out of sheer force of willpower. Twain was born on November 30th, 1835, which was the same day that Halley's Comet passed by Earth, which Uh, uh, does every 75 or 76 years. I came in with Halley's Comet, Twain said in 1909. It is coming again next year. The Almighty has said no doubt. Now there are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. His prediction turned out to be true, as on April 21st, 1910, one day after Halley's Comet passed Earth, Twain died of a heart attack. Ronnie Vance. I agree. I'm saying, really. And the Halley's Comet thing, I hadn't even thought of, because I'm pretty sure other people think that Halley's Comet carries some kind of premonition or something. Mm Mm-hmm. But I haven't done research on it. Ronnie Van Sant, Leonard Skinner's front man, Ronnie Van Sant had predicted his death several times, commenting that he would die with his boots on and that he wouldn't live to see 30. Van Sant would prove his predictions correct as he died less than three months before his 30th birthday. Mm. What's more is that three days before the plane crash that killed him and three other bandmates, the band released an album that seemed to show them engulfed in flames. He had just released a song too called That Smell, 
which had lyrics such as angel of darkness upon you and the smell of death surrounds you. <laughs> what if he brought that on himself too? Interesting. That's so weird that you said that. Cause we were talking about that this morning, me and Jeremy, uh, the Leonard Skinner. Oh, uh, that's wild. We, Oh, we discussed in your episode, the, um, how she could see the future in the last episode and people thought that she was bringing like death upon the village or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that reminds me of like the eye and stuff where like she, anyone who's like a psychic and they see bad things and try to warn people about it, it ends up turning on them. And then the public thinks that you're the one causing all the problems. Do you know what I'm trying right. to say? Right. It's like in Final Destination. Exactly. So mm-hmm. it makes me really wonder like, dang, why are people like that? If you're if they're trying to warn you about something, why would you think they caused it? And so it's just because people don't understand what is happening. I mean, I would have been fucking world, I guess. Do what? Like in the natural world, they wouldn't want to believe that you could see the future and we're trying to right. warn you. Like they I wouldn't think that that person is bringing death. Mm-hmm. But I also would be like you're fucking lying sack of shit. Like you mm-hmm. don't fucking actually until it happens and they're like what the fuck? Yeah, and there's no one to tell except myself. Like, damn it, they were right. (laughs) Right. It's interesting. And then same thing with this. Like, do these people manifest when they're going to die, or do they really just have a feeling? Um, Next on the list. I think so, too. Um, Abraham Lincoln, exactly 103 years before Martin Luther King was assassinated, Abraham Lincoln had a dream that strangely annoyed him. He saw a, oh, no, I don't know what the fuck that says, catafalque. (laughs) C A T A F A L Q U E. What the fuck? Nope. It's a type of wood framework that supports a coffin in the east wing of the White House, and a Union soldier was standing guard. Lincoln walked up to the man and asked, Who is dead in the White House? To which the soldier replied, The president. He was killed by an assassin. Lincoln couldn't shake the dream, and a week later he told a friend about it. Three days after that, he was killed by an assassin's bullet, and his body was later put on display in the east room of the White House. Mm. Yep, that sounds about right. Mm, Frank Pastor. Frank Pastor was a successful pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, Minnesota Twins, and Texas Rangers from 1979 to 1986. He later went on to host his own radio talk show, very creatively titled The Frank Pastor Show. On November 19, 2012, he asked his listeners, "You know what? I, you know I like motorcycles, right?" Are you sensing the impending doom for Pastor? At any moment, he explained, especially with the idiot people who cross the diamond lane into my lane without any blinkers. Not that I'm angry about it. Any minute, I could be spread all over Interstate 210. Just hours after he made this comment, he was riding his motorcycle on Interstate 210 when a Hyundai Sonata drifted into his lane. He later died from his injuries. Fuck, dude. That is Don't say shit like that. Don't say shit like that. Stop it. Yeah. That's fucking fucked up. Mm-mm, I know. Uh, reminds me of that girl uh, who tweeted about Pharrell's. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Whenever she tweeted, that happy song just makes me happy. And then she died because she was looking at her phone. She was on the road. <laughs> I that don't was messed remember up. that at all. That's terrible. Oof. Anyways, that happened whenever that happy song came out. Anyways, Jim Morrison, the Doors frontman Jim Morrison, had a close relationship with death and sang about it often, such as in his song, The End. Morrison is known for his predictions, such as when in 1969 he predicted the advent of electronic dance music. Okay. What? <laughs> on September on September 18th, 1970, rock legend Jimi Hendrix died. On October 4th, Morrison's close friend Janis Joplin died. The 27th club was born days later morrison was out with the friends at barney's beanery in la where it is said that he commented you're drinking with number three that's right number three morrison would die of a drug overdose in paris less than nine months later mm. what the fuck pistol pete's maravich nba legend pistol pete had a 10-year nba career cut short by injuries and to this day he still holds an all-time ncaa men's basketball scoring record for a season 1967 retirement from basketball didn't take well with him and eventually he became a born-again christian 
1974, a 26-year-old Maravik gave an interview for the Beaver County Times in Pennsylvania and reportedly said, I don't want to play 10 years and then die of a heart attack at the age of 40. Well, that first part was already true, and on January 5th, 1988, six months into his 40th year, Maravik died of a heart attack while playing a pickup game. Playing a what game? Pickup. I have no idea what that oh. means. Is that like yeah. jacks? That's what I'm... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Is. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Tupac Shakur. Much has been made in Tupac's choice for his alter ego, Machiavelli. Loosely based on the Italian thinker Machiavelli, it is said that the Machiavelli faked his own death to escape the clutches of his enemies. Whether that was Tupac's intention, we don't know, but we do know that he prophesied his death on a couple of occasions. Not only did Tupac rap about how his death was going to happen in a song released just a few months before his death, I've been shot and murdered, can tell you how it happened word for word, but he also accidentally predicted his death in 1944 in an interview. When asked where he'd be in 15 years, he replied, Best case scenario in a cemetery. Damn. Jeez. People just really go on TV and on the, the radio, like, <laughs> saying that kind of stuff. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, Ernest Hemingway. The curse of the Hemingway family is a very real thing, and it didn't start with Ernest Hemingway, nor did it end with him. It's a painful fact that suicide has claimed the lives of at least four generations of Hemingways, including Ernest's father, Clarence. In 1928, Clarence was suffering from heart disease, diabetes, lost wealth, and perhaps even insanity. Ernest was shaken when he learned that Clarence shot himself, and he wrote, I was very fond of him, and I feel like hell about it. But he also wrote, I'll probably go the same way. On July 2nd, 1961, suffering from poor health and insanity, Ernest fulfilled that prophecy. Mm. Sad. What? Mental illness. Mm-hmm. Warren Zevin, singer-songwriter and all-around rock star Warren Zevin had latrophobia, which is a fear of going to the doctor. And as you can imagine, this had severe consequences. Somehow he wasn't afraid of going to the dentist, however, and when Zevin developed a persistent cough, it was his dentist that encouraged him to see a physician. In 2002, he was diagnosed with a form of mesothelioma, which was odd because It was a disease associated with exposure to asbestos. Instead of an explanation, we're only given these lyrics to his 1987 song, The Factory. Johnny, I've been working in the factory, kicking asbestos in the factory, punching out Chryslers in the factory, breathing that plastic in the factory. Ooh, and it was his demise. That's wild. Buddy Holly. This one is creepy and may make you never want to sleep again. Buddy Holly was sleeping next to his wife, Maria, in January 1959 when they were both roused from nightmares. They didn't have the exact same dream, but each involved a farm, an airplane, panic, and Holly leaving Maria. Holly was so grief-stricken, he started crying. Weeks later, he would try to do right by Maria by doing a winter tour in the Midwest to raise money for his growing family. When the weather struck on February 2nd, 1959, he chartered an airplane that crashed shortly after takeoff in a cornfield in Iowa and was killed on impact. Lesson, listen to your dreams. Mm. Don't say that. Have you seen the pictures mm-hmm. of um, that plane crash? What plane crash? Christ. No. You haven't Which seen plane? it? Oh my gosh, no. And I've been on the news constantly. Of fucking Buddy Holly. Oh my goodness. I thought you meant another. There's been no. so many tragedies. I just don't, I can't even keep up. But let me look. Buddy Holly plane. It you can see everybody's body that died, the no. big bopper or whatever oh, the fuck his no, name is. No. And Richie Valens. <clears throat> oh no, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you're talking about now. They all got thrown. Ugh, catastrophic. Plane crashes are just terrifying. Oh well, I don't have to tell you that. Yeah. Um Mark Bolin. Our fears have a naughty way of manifesting themselves into reality, and frontman for the English glam rock group T-Rex, Mark Bolin certainly learned his lesson too late. Despite the fact that he owned many vehicles and even sang about cars often, Bolin never bothered getting his driver's license, and he was afraid of an untimely death. On the night of September 16, 1977, Bolin, then 29 years old, was the passenger in a Zippy Mini 127.5 GT. He was coming home from Morton's Drinking Club and Restaurant in London when his girlfriend, Gloria Jones, veered off the road and struck a fence post. Jesus. Mm. Mikey Welsh. Uh, 
He was the bass guitarist for the rock band Weezer until 2001 when he had a falling out with the band. Drug problems and mental illness plagued Welsh, but he managed to produce visual art and eventually buried the hatchet with his former bandmates. On September 26, 2011, Welsh took to Twitter to share a dream he had. Dreamt I died in Chicago the weekend after next. Heart attack in my sleep. Need to write my will today. On the eve of Weezer's riot show on October 9, 2011, Welsh was found dead on the floor of a Chicago hotel room, apparently dying from a heart attack caused by a drug overdose. Mm. Oh my God. Kurt Cobain was an innovative musician and kick-ass rock star just as much as he was a tortured soul. This is a difficult story to verify, but according to multiple sources, Cobain predicted his own demise when he was just 14 years old, which was 13 years shy of his induction into the 27 Club. Cobain is said to have actually made three predictions that came true. He said to a classmate that he was going to get rich, famous, and being a rock star from being a rock star, and that he'd die in a blaze of glory like Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix didn't go out like that, and Cobain's suicide on April 5th, 1994 was anything but glorious. Jimi Hendrix. While Cobain may have gone out by the way of the gun, Jimi Hendrix certainly did not, but the two did end up joining the same frightful 27 club. In 1965, before anyone outside of Seattle knew who Hendrix was, he recorded Ballad of Jimi, whose lyrics predicted when he would die. Many things he would try, for he knew soon he'd die. Now Jimmy's gone, he's not alone, his memory still lives on. Five years, this he said, he's not gone, he's just dead. On September 18, 1970, almost five years to the month of, the, of this recording, Hendrix was found dead in a London hotel room, apparently dying of an asphyxia caused by a drug overdose. Bob Marley. Bob Marley, reggae legend, was said to be something of a clairvoyant by the people who knew him best. Given his ability to shine a ray of sunlight on even the worst parts of reality, it's not too much of a stretch in believing he possessed these abilities. Unconfirmed reports indicate that Marley was cryptic about his death and revealed details to uncertain to certain friends. One such friend claimed that Marley predicted he'd die the same age as Jesus, which was 36 years old. On May 11, 1981, two months after he turned 36, Marley died of brain and lung cancer stemming from a melanoma on his big toe. What the fuck? That sucks. I I'm sure other people knew how he's how he'd passed away, but I didn't know it had to do with a melanoma on his big toe. I didn't know that either. <sighs> Damn. The Ultimate Warrior, James Helwig, aka The Ultimate Warrior, was on a hiatus from perfect professional wrestling after a falling out with just about everyone involved in world wrestling entertainment, WWE. Then on April 5th, 2014, he made amends with his former comrades and appeared on WrestleMania Triple X to be in inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. During his induction, he gave a great speech where he poked fate and said, every man's heart beats its final beat. The spirit of the ultimate warrior will run forever. Less than three days later, without warning or any indication that he was suffering from health problems, the ultimate warrior died of a massive heart attack. Mm-mm. Biggie Smalls. Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, both rapped about his early demise and later predicted it was coming. Like most mu- musicians, Smalls wrote lyrics about his death, and in 1994, he released a song titled Suicidal Thoughts, where he used more than a couple of expletives to say that death was calling him. Smalls was gunned down in Los Angeles on March 9, 1997 by an unknown assassin. Less than three weeks later, what would be his final album was set to release. The title of the album was Life After Death and featured a photo of Smalls taken six weeks before his death, leaning against a hearse with a hearse. Oh my God. <laughs> leaning against a hearse with a license plate that read B.I.G. John Lennon. In the spring of 1980, John Lennon was on sailing holiday with wife Yoko Ono aboard his yacht bound for Bermuda. Rough waters rocked the boat so violently that the entire crew and everyone else except Lennon got too weak from seasickness to even function. It was Lennon who piloted the boat out of the storm. The event inspired the song Borrowed Time, which was recorded shortly after. Less than six months later, on December 8, 1980, Lennon was assassinated by a gunman in front of his apartment in New York. Among the lyrics in Borrowed Time are the words, living on borrowed time without a thought for tomorrow. Jackie Wilson... Jackie, 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 in the case of this list, we saved the worst for last. Jackie Wilson was a soul singer who rose to stardom at the age of 24 with his chart-topping single, Lonely Teardrops. When released on an album, it sold over a million records. On September 25th, 1975, Wilson performed the song on Dick Clark's show, Good Old Rock and Roll Rev- Review. 
And while singing the lyric, my lonely heart is crying, he clutched his chest and collapsed to the floor, suffering a massive heart attack. He hung around for a few years, but eventually succumbed to complications on January 21st, 1984. Some of these are not predictions, but I have a story at the end of this um, to tell about a 16-year-old, so that'll be good. That's Richie Valens. So there it is. There he is. There he is. Oh, horrible, because he was having dreams, too. And he Richie was so Valens. Scared. Oh my I know, god! I know. I know that movie always fucking. It's so tough to watch that movie. Mm. Yeah. Richie Valens had what's called aerophobia, which is a fear of flying, and he had a darn good reason. When he was 15 Same. years old, he cut class to attend his grandfather's funeral. While there, a plane fell from the sky in a fiery inferno and crashed on the playground of his schoolyard. While Valens was on tour in Iowa, two years and three days later, he won a coin toss that nettled. That netted him a seat in a small aircraft that was taking off into a winter storm. He reportedly said, that's the first time I've ever won anything in my life. Minutes later, on February 3rd, 1959, the plane he was on with the big bopper and Buddy Holly crashed into the frozen ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not my Richie. I know. Mm. I've been seeing that on TikTok lately. Have you? uh the song but not. people uh people have been acting out that scene with the mom and with bob oh shit <laughs> not my richie i'll have to send it to you um but anyways and it still brought a tear to people in the comments were like i'm still crying and it was a man in a wig anyways <laughs> <laughs> wt stead author williams thomas Stead's demise is another cautionary tale of the need to be careful with what you say. In 1886, Stead wrote a story wherein an ocean liner collides with another ship and many lives are lost because of a lack of lifeboats. He later said this is exactly what might take place and will take place if liners are sent to she- to sea short of boats. She sells seashells by the seashore is how I feel right now. <laughs> Stead liked to say that he'd die by either lynching or drowning. Oh, God. He even wrote another, I know, two different kinds of asphyxiation. That's crazy. I wonder if he had like a kink for that. Even wrote another story where a ship collided with an iceberg. As luck would have it, Stead found himself aboard the RMS Titanic on April 15th, 1912, when it struck an iceberg. Due to lack of lifeboats, Stead drowned in the frigid waters. What? Mm Mm-mm. Arnold Arnold <laughs> Arnold Schweinberg. Schwein? Okay. The, <laughs> the Austrian the Austrian composer Arnold Schweinberg was a decidedly tortured soul with a phobia that cost him his life. Before you go looking up Triskaidekaphobia. Oh my god. At least you like take the time to look up how to say this shit. I just don't. I just hope everyone gets it. Triskaidekaphobia. There it is. Triskaidekaphobia. We'll tell you what it is. It's a fear of the number 13. I knew that that was a thing. Yeah, we talked about it on the first We did. Okay. Well, now I'm reminded of what its title is, but it's the fear of the number 13. Ugh. He was born. That must be what the Roguru has. That's why he can't count. That's why he can't count the damn coins. That is exactly it. He said it's not there. It's somewhere. <laughs> he was. <laughs> where is he hiding? The final coin. He was born on September thirteenth, eighteen seventy four, and he was convinced that he would die on the thirteenth of some month. Schoenberg even went through the trouble of changing the name of one of his operas to avoid having the letters add up to 13. He dreaded his 76th birthday, 7 plus 6, 13, after an astrologer warned him of his mathematical omen. I knew it. There's omens, too, that deal with. And then you just live with dread for the rest of your life. Anyways, Schoenberg became depressed. That's the omen of death. Ooh, I just remember that story, the black dog from... Fucking scary stories to tell in the dark. I don't remember that. I don't know why that's the first thing I thought of. But yeah, black dog, people think black cats. I don't know. Bad luck is different than no, black death omens, right? Death. Yeah, that's a death omen. Okay, then that's a death omen. Okay. And ravens too, no? But death's I on its way. You are correct. Freaky. Hmm. 
So yeah, he was in bed all day sick on July 13th, 1951, and until 15 minutes before midnight um, when his heart gave out. Yeah, so Friday the 13th he died. Creepy. Jesus Christ. We know about the death of Jesus Christ and his prediction prior to it from the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all agree that he prophesied his death, but they disagree on how Jesus made his announcement. One thing is certain, though, he knew trouble was coming when he entered Jerusalem for the final time. Jesus predicted his demise with seemingly great accuracy, as in the book of Matthew, he said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Then they will kill him. He takes it further when he said they will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. That turned out to be exactly what happened. But isn't wasn't that the punishment for anybody that did what he did? Like anybody? Because oh. the reason why they killed him was because he was not, or he was preaching his own shit, right? I think so. It's been so long. Um, I, honestly, so yeah, I guess if he just knew the rules, he's just stating the rules aloud. Yeah, he knew what was going to happen to him because that's what happened to everybody that did shit like that, or hmm. anyone that was like against whatever right. the fucking the Gentiles, Pontius Pilate. I don't. I don't actually... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not pretend. A bunch of blasphemy over here. I know we're about to be struck over here. Okay, stop it. No, you know. <laughs> Okay, delete, delete, delete. Reverse. <laughs> rewind. Rewind. Okay. Rewind, rewind. <laughs> I'm sweating, I'm sweating. Okay. Rasputin. Gregory Rasputin didn't just predict his own death, but he predicted the fall of the Russian monarchy. In 1916, he was nice and cozy with the Romanovs, who were the ruling family in Russia. The Tsarina Alexandra had become enthralled by Rasputin, the monk who was able to cure her son's hemophilia with nothing more than a touch and a mandate from God. But Rasputin could feel his final days coming. He wrote a letter to the Tsarina saying he would be killed by New Year's and the Romanovs would suffer the same fate within two years. Two days before New Year's in 1917, Rasputin was shot three times, poisoned, and drowned. The entire Romanov family was killed a year and a half later. <sighs> He predicted he was a magic yeah. man. He got a lot of ladies magic too. Man. Surprisingly, looking like a damn corpse. It's that that Pete Davidson thing that pe- that women go through. <laughs> <laughs> he was a line cook. What do they say? It's the it's the summer of line cook boyfriends or something. Anyway, dude, that, those fucking memes are fucking hilarious. <laughs> they really are. MGK and Pete Davidson are the line cooks. Yes, and the fucking Courtney. Uh, oh, yeah, and Travis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. We're forgetting their names now. <laughs> Megan and Courtney are the Megan Fox. <laughs> yeah. Kim just is following suit as she, as she does. <clears throat> Anywho, <laughs> I won't pretend that I hate them. <clears throat> Abraham de Moivre, the French mathematician. He used a set of data to predict what day he would die. Okay, see, here it is, the mathematician. As he grew older, his energy waned, and he became largely lethargic, suffered from somnolence, which is basically the opposite of insomnia. Hmm. So hypersomnia. He was getting more tired, and he noticed that he was sleeping about 15 minutes longer every day. He used this data to determine that eventually he would sleep for an entire day, and that would be the day he died. Mm. He determined that his death would occur on November 24th, 1754, which is exactly what happened. His death was reportedly listed as somnolence. He slept himself to death. Damn. I wish. No. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Let's just take that right on back there, little brain. (laughs) It doesn't count. It doesn't count. Okay. All right, so that was the famous people, but um, some of those I knew, and then some of those were like brand new to me. So that was yeah. interesting. Um, let's dive in. So we did that already. I was supposed to say this before I started. Okay. <laughs> so now I bring it to our sixteen-year-old. Um, Kathy Hobbs of Las Vegas, Nevada. I was watching an episode of the classic era of Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack when I saw this case 
And uh, I believe it is season 14, episode 115, if you want to watch it. And her case is featured among the others. So here we go. I used unsolvedmysteries.com for this part. I'm just going to read straight from the case. And I'm going to try to read it like Robert Stack, as I always do, because I'm dramatic. Catherine Hobbs, a young girl who has premonitions that she will not live to see her 16th birthday, is abducted and murdered. Perhaps you could help solve a mystery. What he says is so cool. He's so cool. Rest his soul. You did. It worked. Um, On the evening of July. What? Go on. Say. No, just keep looping that part over. Oh, that would be cool in the background. I wish I could just use it. Maybe I'll find it and I'll use it. Okay. And then they suit me. It's so good. I listen to that um, score constantly on YouTube. Are you serious? Yeah, I find it and then I listen to it and I do my little little report. Wow. It's fun. It's a cool little beat. It gets me pumped. And then it builds up, you know? It's like, oh, you're about to figure it out. You're about to... Clicking away? Okay. On the evening of July 23rd, 1987, 16-year-old Kathy Hobbs was reading a romance novel in her bedroom in her home in Las Vegas suburb. At 11 p.m., she told her mother, Vivian Hobbs, that she was going to the local supermarket. She came out to me and said, Mom, I'm going down to the store to buy a book. Give me a kiss before I go. And I said, Why? I'll be up when you get back. She said, Well, I'll probably stop and talk to the kids, so you might be in bed when I get back. So I gave her a kiss, and that was the last time I saw her. Kathy often walked the block and a half to the store late at night. Usually her friends hung out at the apartment swimming pool, so Kathy's mother wasn't worried. Assuming that Kathy would be with her friends, Vivian went to sleep. Then at 3 a.m., she says a strange dream woke her up. I woke up out of a sound sleep. I felt like I had been hit in the head. And all of a sudden, I got a very peaceful feeling, and I thought, well, it's over now, and I fell back to sleep. The next morning, Vivian discovered that Kathy's bedroom was empty. Las Vegas Metro Police Homicide Lieutenant Kyle L. Edwards was investigating the case. Within the first day, we had tracked down friends, relatives, and had done a very extensive media campaign on the television in Catherine's, with Catherine's picture. At the end of the second day, we were convinced that Catherine had probably been abducted. Kathy's family had been terribly worried about her. As a child, she had frightening premonitions, several of them, that she would die at an early age. When she was eight, she became even more specific, telling her friends that she would not live past the age of 16. Vivian did what she could to help her daughter. She did not have a happy childhood. Her father and I went through a divorce when she was eight years old. She and her father were extremely close. When she was in the seventh grade, a very good friend of hers died of a heart disease, and that affected Kathy very much. One of the main reasons we moved to Las Vegas was to give Kathy another chance to get away from the the environment she grew up in. After the move, Kathy blossomed and made new friends, but according to her mother, as Kathy's 16th birthday approached, her fear of dying returned. She got very teary-eyed one night and told me, Mom, I don't want to get any older. I want to be a little girl. And I told her, Kathy, we all have to grow up. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but we all do it. And she told me, I'm not going to. I, she didn't think she'd make her 16th birthday. Kathy spent all her time in her bedroom and would not leave the house. Then, on the morning of her 16th birthday, she was surprised and relieved to find she was still alive. She now seemed to have a new enthusiasm for life. Kathy's sister, Teresa Hobbs, remembered how she began to go out again and started making plans for her future. She was ecstatic. She came out and said, I made it, Mom. I made it. I'm 16. I did it. I'm alive. After Kathy vanished, police assumed she had been abducted and issued photos to the media. Eventually, one crucial clue resurfaced. A clerk remembered seeing Kathy in the supermarket that night that she vanished. Store receipts confirmed that someone did purchase a paperback novel at 1117 that night. Apparently, Kathy had made it to the store, but not home. Nine Nine days after Kathy vanished, hiker Rick Picolt was searching for rock crystals out in the desert near Lake Mead. I was walking back to the car and I was probably 150, 200 feet from the road and was stopped by a very strong odor. I decided to see where it was coming from or what it was, and that's when I found Catherine's body. It was the most horrible thing I'd ever seen in my life. I had to sit down and gather my thoughts and make sure that what I was looking at was real. Lieutenant Kyle Edwards was first on the scene. Within probably 20 minutes of our arrival, we knew it was Catherine. There was no doubt in our minds it was Catherine. 
it does get very quiet and you can't help but look at it and see your own children and say, for the grace of God, there goes one of mine. At the time of your immediate feeling, it is to run home, grab your daughter by the arm and bring her to the scene and say, this is why I say, no, you can't go out late at night. <laughs> yep. Oh my Tire God. prints. I know. That's where my mom got it from. Now I don't go anywhere. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Are you happy, Ty- mom? <laughs> I know. Great. I'm still alive. Okay. <clears throat> Tire prints at the scene showed where a vehicle had pulled in, turned around, and left. Investigators also found two rocks spattered with Kathy's blood. The coroner concluded that she died from repeated blows to the head. Vivian recalled her daughter's premonitions. She was 16 years, three months, and three days old when she was killed. So she made it to 16, but not much after that. But she was right, and she wasn't going to live to be an adult. After Kathy's death, several letters were found in her room addressed to each member of the family. They were dated one month before her 16th birthday. The one that Vivian read, Dear Mother, the one to Vivian read, Dear Mother, in the event of my death, you shall get this letter. I hope you live happily, and I don't want you or anyone else to dwell on my death. I love you all very dearly. You were good to me, and nobody else could have been a better mother. Keep me alive in your heart, and don't ever forget me. Love always, Kathy. Exactly three months after Kathy vanished, a call came in to the Las Vegas Police Department. Their answering machine recorded this message from a man who may have witnessed her abduction. He grabbed the girl in front of the store on Desert Inn in Maryland. This was a few months ago. I've been out of town for a few months, and I wrote this down because she was screaming. I pulled over in the car. She was a very young girl wearing a white jacket and pink pants. And the guy's name, he hollered to him, pushed her in the car, and his name was Robbie. Lieutenant Edwards says... The theory that we have is that she was abducted between the store and her apartment by one or more suspects. We think she was driven to the lake that night and killed that evening. The reporter, the caller reported the license number of the car, but did not leave his name or phone number. The phone checked, the police checked the license number and discovered it did not exist. Today, the murder of Kathy Hobbs remains unsolved. Her mother and the Las Vegas police hope that the witness will call back and give more details or that someone watching may recognize the voice of the mysterious caller. And then they like do that little song and it's like update. (gasps) While the witness never contacted authorities and was never located, this case has been closed. An alleged serial killer named Michael Lee Lockhart was a key suspect in Kathy's murder. After his arrest for another murder, he was put on trial, convicted, and has since been executed. Damn. Mm-hmm. So Michael Lee Lockhart, uh, born September 30th, 1960, uh, and he has been executed, is an American serial killer who received death sentences in three states, Florida, Indiana, and Texas. He was executed on December 9th, 1997 by the state of Texas. Lockhart was caught when Officer Paul Holsey Jr. tried to arrest him for driving a stolen Chevrolet Corvette. Officers responding to the motel room where he was reported found Hulsey dead in the room. They put out an all-points bulletin for the vehicle, which was spotted. A high-speed chase ensued before Lockhart crashed and was soon apprehended. Evidence of his other crimes was found in the vehicle. Lockhart was convicted of killing Officer Hulsey and was was sentenced to death. He was later convicted in Indiana for the murder of 16-year-old Wendy Gallagher. Following the previous conviction, he pleaded guilty to the murder of 14-year-old Jennifer Colhor of Florida. He received death sentences in both states. Lockhart was a suspect in the murder of Kathy Hobbs, a 16-year-old abducted in Las Vegas in 1987. Before its resolution, her case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries in 1989. He was uh, executed on December 9th, 1997 in Texas. His last meal consisted of a double meat cheeseburger, french fries, and Coca-Cola. Lockhart's last words were, A lot of people view what is happening here as evil, but I want you to know that I found love and compassion here. The people who work here, I thank them for their kindness. They have shown me, and I deeply appreciate all that has been done for me by the people who work here. That's all, Warden. I'm ready. Jeez. Ew, he looks like a piece of shit. But um, they didn't, after they caught him, I was reading a little more, and people on Reddit were talking about, like, why didn't he get, uh, you know, but he was going to die anyways because of everyone else he murdered. But they didn't want to have a trial in Nevada because it would have just been a waste of time and then, you know, put the family through that again. Yada, yada. So <clears throat> so they figured um, – apparent, and then I had to look on Reddit to find out how they knew he was involved in that one since he was in Texas, Florida, and all over the place. Um, apparently there was fabric or something. Let me see. Where did I find it? 
Oh, okay. He had a stolen car whose blue fibers had matched trace fibers collected at the scene and receipts found in his possession matched the time and place of Kathy's last outing. Because he was already being sentenced to death for the other murders, Nevada decided not to pursue further investigation. While he never officially confessed, some sources cite a virtual confession where it seems he indicated that he was her killer, although he has never been proven in court of law. So um, I guess it's a possibility he didn't do it, but it's very likely that he did. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that she wrote everybody letters a month before her birthday, just in case, just really like she goes to really show. thought she was going to die. Like she really. Mm-hmm. She just felt it. I don't even know if she had dreams or. I used to feel like I was going to die uh, before I turned uh, 21. Really? I never did, obviously. <laughs> Yay, I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I used to dream, or I think I had, like, um, I don't know if you remember this, but um, I had a dream that Danny Masterson died, hmm. and it was, like, a huge thing in my dream, right? And I, mm-hmm. I shit you not, a year later, all the shit came out about him um, raping that girl. And then, like, his career died, essentially, and I was like, Mm -hmm. holy fuck, that's weird. Damn, that is really weird. Yeah. Interesting. Um, That's the closest I've gotten. (laughs) Damn, well, that's crazy. Um, Some people have dreams, and they feel it, like, it's vivid dreams of them dying, and they feel like they feel pain and stuff. That freaks me out. that is fucking scary. They wake up screaming. So far, I just, you know, I had a dream the other day that I didn't, I like had to get on a plane by myself and Hunter like left. And so I get on the plane. And then when I came off the plane, I started looking for my car in the parking lot instead of trying to catch my next flight. But then when I got inside, I didn't have any paperwork. And I tried asking the front desk lady to like, look me up or something to see what terminal to go to or whatever. And she was just being rude. So then I made a joke in my dream. And I was like, y'all do returns, like return me home. And then I woke oh, up. Oh my God. <laughs> Your dreams? somehow i wasn't freaked out like as much as i thought i would be in my dream i kind of was because i was like like i am empty-handed and i'm going into this airport freaking out duh the hell but also i overprepare anxiety has like helped me over prepare for things well clearly even in in your dreams you're like i know why do i have nightmares about being ill-equipped Anywho, I just got to find more shit to do. I told Hunter I want to start going to the gym at nighttime. I wonder how busy it is. That way I can just fall asleep and just like go into darkness and not dream anything. (laughs) Why don't, or y'all don't have enough room in your house for a gym there or like shit there? I probably could, but I think we're trying to make guest rooms. So I don't want to like put anything in there that's exercise shit. We have a gym membership, and so we're supposed to be going, but we haven't gotten in a long time. <laughs> Ugh. But yeah, anyways. Um, so now I can finally ask, would you want to know if there was a way to know how long you had? No. And then the next question is, is it quantity of life or quality? Mm, quality. There you go. Cool. So then the 2700 Club, or 2700, oh my god. The 27 (laughs) Club, well, I'm thinking of the 700 Club. (laughs) That shit that used to be on ABC. Yes. Like, oh my god, why is this shit on the shit? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Call in now with donations. No. Anyways, the 27 Club then probably feels pretty good, huh? Because they went out in a blaze of glory or whatever they said. They sure did. Not that it's cool, guys. I'm not romanticizing overdose or suicide or anything like that. But, I mean, I don't know. A lot of people I talk to, like, they don't want to get old. So live while you're young and then fucking I never understood that. Like, I never understood why my grandparents were always like, don't get old, man. And I'm like, why? It doesn't. Mm -hmm. Like, you're just old. But I didn't realize how shitty you feel. Like, you just feel like you're fucking falling apart. Damn. The moment that I realized, like, I was getting old, mm. I was like, this is a crock of shit. Like, this is literally, like, 
This is it. From this moment, like this is my mm-hmm. peak. It's happening. And now I'm I'm <laughs> on the other side it. of that hill now. All that over the hill shit that we used to sell at Spencer's, now we get that it. That is, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at fucking 30, like. You feel it? Damn. I literally, sometimes I feel like I fucking have arthritis. Like, I'm not even joking. Shit. Lately. You can thank genetics been, for that. And I'm like, great. Why do my hands hurt? <laughs> I know. I. That's wild that we're talking about this because I've already started Googling, like, what do I need to start? Because after hearing my mom, like, kind of tell me how it's going for her, I'm just like, yo, I need to get in front of this. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't want to deal with it. it just there's nothing like there's nothing that you can do. I mean, true. I've been reading a lot about planning your life and your routine around your menstrual cycle. So, ladies and people who have menstrual cycles, look into that. Um, apparently, it works better if you do that. Like you work out around your menstrual cycle, eat certain things depending on what day you're at, and it's all around like when you're supposed to ovulate. Apparently, you're supposed to like frame your activities around that and you'll feel better and then also hormone imbalance is really common among women that's causing us to get like misdiagnosed a lot at the doctor because they won't look at your hormones first they'll just listen to your symptoms and like you have insomnia or anxiety and they'll kind of give you medications for that but I mean apparently if you kind of try to look into your hormones that might help a little bit and I'm not like trying to give advice or sound like annoying right now but that's just what I've been like reading lately but how do you do like if you're fucking periods are like irregular irregular as fuck exactly that's what a lot of people in the comments were saying so there's a way okay and then this is when it gets weird because apparently our menstrual cycles and the moon cycles line up so you have to go off of a a certain calendar i'll send it to you anybody who's interested let me know and i'll send you the tiktok i found because this lady really spelled it out for me in a way that i was like i have never heard of this why have i never heard of this And could this be the answer to a lot of like little issues that start whenever you're over the age of 25? So I'll send it to you because it's really weird. um, I do know that there is a thing. Damn it. Hold on. I know what it's called. Oh, uh, your moon time. There you go. That's what it is. Um, and they were straight up saying, like, don't go off of man's 24-hour clock. Go off of our moon time. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Okay, I'll try it. I'll see what's going on. Pretty weird. There's another – I've heard it called something else, too, besides moon time. It's like – it's something – it's kind of fucking metal. It's, like, real fucking brutal. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, fuck, I can't remember what it's called. Damn, you'll have to it's text like me witchy. whenever you remember. It's like witchy, it's That's, yeah, that's a good term for all of this. Um, it's really interesting because I never really thought to frame my life that way. Because as I'm growing up, I was like, this isn't real. Chakras and, you know, crystals and manifesting and all that it's like it couldn't be real and then now I'm like older and I'm like hmm why not try it <laughs> and it works I think yeah it's just called the moon time but fuck I thought it was something else mm. moon time period 29.5 days the moon takes 23.27.3 days to orbit the earth but the lunar phase cycle from new moon to new moon is 29.5 days Spends an extra 2.2 days catching up because the Earth travels a blah blah blah. Interesting. Does the men- do menstrual and lunar cycles synchronize? What scientists say on medicalnewstoday.com. That moon time is, um, well, it's mainly like other or like um, then oh, the, the myth it. of Why moon phases and menstruation. Oh, it's like indigenous groups that call it the moon time. Oh, huh. I swear to God, I've heard it called something else, but I don't know. Hmm. But apparently it has nothing to do. Now I'm seeing the myth of moon phases and menstruation. So, I mean, you can't really base 
what I'm saying on any actual like fact, but anywho, um, yeah, don't, I can't base anything I'm saying off fact. I'm just saying, look into it. Cause I mean, Hey, you might be able to, uh, track it better that way. Who knows? Um, or adjust it or, you know, regulate it, I should say, based on like what you eat or what you do or whatever. Right. But literally I'm annoying and I don't want to act like, cause you know, there's a stigma around taking medication already, but then also there's like the whole idea that big pharma wants your money. So I fall in the middle where I'm like, I have a headache. Am I going to take any medicine for it? No. You know what I mean? But am I on birth control? Yes. So I, it just depends for me. I really don't like to take medicine for certain things. So that's why I'm looking into this stuff. Other people are different. So yeah, who knows, but it is, it is something I'd never seen before. So that's, what's new with me these days. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that. Um, how do you feel about, um, CERN being turned on? CERN? Do you know what I'm talking about? With the brain, the brain thing? Are you thinking about the right thing? No. They're supposed to be doing some shit with like oh, run three some bullshit. Exotic I'm not, I didn't really read. I had read a lot about it um, Exotic maybe like a month ago, but then I don't know. Every, it like got all over TikTok and I was like, okay, these people oh. are So I stopped like really paying attention, but now that it's actually turned mm. on as of yesterday as of fires up for a third time interesting yeah and everybody in the comments was like oh my god the fucking dogs everybody in the comments was like they've already done this in hawkins indiana for fucking stranger things and shit and i'm like oh okay now that i was that's where i did hear it i heard something about stranger things with please stop (laughs) interesting yeah, That's other wild. people, like, it was dumb. Like, all these people were, like, fucking busting out all these, like... Theories, wild fictional, theories. Yeah, but, like, based on, like, fictional fucking things. Like, the somebody said the fucking Umbrella Corporation, and I'm like, that <laughs> had nothing to do with what the fuck you're talking uh, Is this, like, MK Ultra shit? This is... I'm talking about I particles. I don't really know. I just I don't know believe MK Ultra was real. I can't put in put it past anybody now that whatever rumors there are. It's like particles. It's a fucking. They're trying to study like dark matter and stuff. Is yeah, what I'm getting. but they are doing other stuff apparently too. They hmm. discovered three new particles as of oh seventeen hours ago. Discoveries? Do we want to discover anything this year? Because oh look, conspiracy theorists <laughs> think the Large Hadron Colander transferred us into a parallel universe yesterday. <gasps> oh God, let's start. Yeah, let's start looking into more Mandela effects today then, and see what else is new. Yes, conspiracy <laughs> theories about CERN's Large Hadron Colander going viral on TikTok. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, and everyone's like losing their minds. Huh, I'll have to look more into it. Cern's when do you think Project function- Bluebeam's going to take off? Oh, or shit. has it already? Uh, CERN's main function is to provide the particle accelerators and other infrastructure needs or needed for high energy physics research. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know. I was like, can you tell me more? Tell me more. That's what that is. As a result, numerous experiments have been constructed at CERN through international collaborations. And what? CERN is the European Organization for Nuclear Research. Why is it? Physics. I know. Nuclear. Oh, in French. In French, mm-hmm. the French um, translation of it creates CERN. Ah, I see what you were trying to do. Line up the, the voids. Like but yeah, that's interesting. Huh. 
Okay, cool. So we might have been put into a parallel universe yesterday, which if we were, what in the flying fuck is this the same shit that I was doing the day before yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing different. I know, right? Are you supposed to feel it? Who's been replaced? I mean, everything fucking feels the goddamn same. If it's if it changed like one or two small things, like there it is. What was the found. point? What was the fucking point? To make everything better, maybe, because we're headed in the wrong direction. <laughs> Conspiracy theorists think the Large Hadron Collider transferred us into a parallel universe yesterday. So this is from ifuckinglovescience.com. On yeah, Tuesday, the world's largest yesterday, Earlier yesterday. <laughs> yesterday? See, it already happened. I'm just kidding. <laughs> God particle. Hmm, okay, I'll have to go through here. Cool. I'm sure TikTok is. Like People have been talking about a big shift, and I wonder if this this has anything to do with it now. If this is what I think people they, didn't know, uh, but that this shit has been talked about like for months already. So true. The other conspiracies that were like or theories that were like talking about there's a big shift coming. They didn't specify what like what would cause it. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was this. I don't know. People are fucking weird. I need a third eye. But can you trust your third eye? Why wouldn't you be able to? It's the most in touch with truth, I feel like. Well, um, in other news, I saw um, a video. It happened yesterday of this girl who fought like hell when she was um, sexually assaulted in an elevator in a storage unit. What the fuck? And she even came out running after him after he left because she was beaten on him so bad, which thank goodness she's okay. Uh, let me find it. I want good news at the end of every episode now, so um, oh, I'll share this story. Now? Yes, I have to, or else I'll leave and I'll just be like, oh no, in dread all day long. <laughs> Let me find it. And then I want to tell you guys about three kids who saved a dad who collapsed in a pool. Yeah, one day ago. Woman says when she was attacked in an elevator, she fought back. The woman, whose name is not being shared publicly, spoke with KCBS-TV in California. She says when she got on an elevator at a storage facility in June, a man followed her, and once the door closed, he pushed her up against the wall of the elevator and ripped off a... It, she ripped... He ripped off her sports bra. Like, he pulled it, and then he was grabbing her breasts and, like, pulling her breasts, and um, he was arrested. So... He's a 26-year-old man in connection with the incident. And so, yeah, he's already been arrested, so that's good. But she tried to pepper spray him, and she couldn't get the lock, the safety lock off. So she was just, like, hitting him whenever he was attacking her inside the elevator. And when the elevator opens again, he's running. And you see her running towards him with her keychain in her hands. So, Jesus. guys, we can't always rely on our self-defense um stuff so you know do what you have to do kick your legs swing your arms you know don't go down easy just try your best to get away because she was able to it's possible um so that's very inspiring and she's not sharing her name or anything and she was blurred um on this inside edition thing so she doesn't want anyone to know where who she is but she does want to put a warning out there for people to be um, aware and the storage facility had um, cameras so that that was how they were able to find this guy but um, yeah you see everything you see him come out of the elevator with another guy uh, and they're they're pulling a dolly or something and then she goes in alone with nothing in her hands but her keys and she's in a sports bra and, and leisure wear and he goes right back in and you know, like, why are you going right back in there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And then you see them both run out and she's chasing him with her keys in her hand. So pretty scary. And then, uh, yep, here it is. As of four hours ago, these boys saved their dad from drowning with CPR. They learned from the sandlot. Oh, my God. Brad Hassig. <laughs> no, isn't that so precious? They didn't know what they were doing and they saved him. Brad Hassig was doing some breathing exercises underwater in his backyard pool when something went amiss. He slipped into unconsciousness in the five-foot end of the pool, and if he had been on his own in the backyard on that June day, things might not have had a positive outcome. Fortunately for Brad, he was not alone. His 10-year-old twins, um, 
Bryden and Christian were there along with their 11-year-old pal, Sam Ebert, and those three kids ended up saving Brad's life with lessons they learned from watching The Sandlot. In an interview with Hoda Kobe on Today, Brad Hasig described the beginning of that fateful day as a typical afternoon with the kids. We had music on on the speakers, and I was doing breathing exercises underwater to relax. I wasn't pushing myself or, in, or trying to be a Navy SEAL. Suddenly, Brad blacked out and still can't explain what happened. It seemed normal and then just nothing. His son, Christian, was the first one to notice that something was wrong because his dad was on his side in the pool. Uh, so he was laying on his side in the pool. I alerted my brother, he told uh, Kobe, and Bryden put on his goggles to go investigate with Sam. Me and Sam dove into the water and grabbed one arm and pulled him next to the steps. As if pulling a grown man to safety wasn't enough, the three boys went further. After they couldn't unlock their dad's phone, Christian ran to a neighbor's to call for help while Bryden performed CPR on his unconscious dad. CPR he learned from watching movies like Hook and The Sandlot. Um, Cobe reminded the boys that there's a scene when Pretty Lifeguard goes and does uh, CPR on Squints, one of the kids from the movie. Apparently that was well imprinted into their memory. Fortunately, the CPR worked with Sam listening for a heartbeat and Bryden doing the mouth-to-mouth his dad came to, coughing up blood and foam and water. Christian had managed to stop a car to ask for help, and the first responders arrived. In short, those three boys saved Brad's life. Brad had suffered from a condition called hypoxia, where there is not enough oxygen in the blood because of too much fluid in the lungs, and is doing much better now. And he is um, especially proud of all three boys. I'm so proud of my boys, he told Cope. I tell them, remember, you guys are heroes, and I'll be grateful to them forever. And Sam is such a kind and gentle kid. It's a bond now. Cute. Um, and it says, I think it's fair to say they're all grateful for the Sandlot, too. Where would they be without it? That's from romper.com. Um, but, yeah, that happened uh, yet, uh, in June, and they came on the news a few hours ago with that. So that's very heartwarming. You could always, you know, try. This guy was giving them CPR lessons on the the news and uh, he said, it's easy to save a life. All you have to do is do it. And I was like, damn, there, here comes my hero complex again. <laughs> <laughs> the neighbors next door have a pool and they're in it constantly. So I'm going to be looking with my binoculars and be like, I got you. Jump the fence. <laughs> Go save them real quick. <laughs> right over the fence. I know. Jeez. I make it all worse. <laughs> Where I'm the they're calling the ambulance for me instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, hope that made your day a little bit brighter, everybody. Um, come back and see us next Friday for part two of Daniela's Louisiana's Cajun folklore so we can finish that up. And uh, don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and on Twitter at G I M M E, the creeps. And yeah, keep it creepy, everybody. Thanks for listening. So, did we give you the creeps?